Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Thanks for listening to the Toronto Legends podcast, powered by the Henderson Brewing Company, a locally owned, award-winning neighborhood brewery that celebrates Toronto's stories and culture. I am your host, Andrew Applebaum. My guest today is Robert Picard. Robert played in over 900 National Hockey League games for six different teams over a 13-year career, including 59 games for your Toronto Maple Leafs in the 1980-81 season. He had the pleasure and the pressures of playing for his hometown team, the Montreal Canadiens, as well as for their bitter provincial rivals, the Quebec Nordique. Robert started his pro career smack dab in the middle of the National Hockey League versus World Hockey Association League battles, was part of the trade that saw the popcorn kid Mike Palmatier leave Toronto, and was part of another trade that saw a draft pick later turn into none other than Hall of Fame goaltender Patrick Waugh. Welcome, Robert, to Toronto Legends. Thank you for joining me. Where are you and how are you? I am doing well. I live now in South Carolina. I moved, I was in Florida for about 20 years prior to, after I retired from hockey. And now I moved to South Carolina in a community where it's got all the amenities, golf, pickleball, tennis, uh, swimming pool, workout facilities. So I was looking for a place like that. Plus there's a huge lake. I boat a lot. So it's kind of kind of keeping me busy. Well, I'm jealous. It sounds like he got it figured out. When, when was the last time you shoveled snow? Wow. Uh, well, well, when I went to New Hampshire with my wife to visit her family, and there's just outside of Boston, and we had uh, three or four inches of snow there, I helped shovel the driveway, and that's it. And right. in South Carolina, we don't get much. Last year, we got a half an inch. So where I am, that, that's about it. And the weather is... You know, during the day in mid forties, and well, for you guys, probably seven or eight, and then 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 at night, then the zero zeros basically. Well, you absolutely got it figured out. I have to ask you when when you make new friends or you talk to people and they find out you used to be a professional athlete, they must <clears> guess <throat> hockey, basketball, baseball. When does hockey even come up for people in South Carolina or Florida? Uh, well, because of the most a lot of the people are from the north also here, so a lot of. Uh, the people from the Midwest that are there in this neighborhood and stuff like that, and a lot of people also from Atlanta, so that moving close to where I am. To say, I, you know, I didn't mention anything. I never do talk about it. I that when people find out, they'll tell me yes, but I don't, you know, I don't brag or anything about it and stuff like that. So it's kind of uh, kind of nice so people can know me for who I am, not who I was. Sure, but I have to imagine, especially. South Carolina and Florida, there's tons of Quebecers make their vacation plans. How often does someone say, hey, you look familiar to me? Quite frequently. Uh, yeah. More in Florida, that's what's happening and stuff. Uh, the other day, a couple of weeks ago, I went to Atlanta and there was a Washington Capitol fan forever and stuff, recognized me in the game, said hi. So I, those are the things. In Montreal, basically, when I go home to see my family, it's uh, always happening and stuff. Even in Quebec City, when I go there too. 
So uh, up there, it's more reoccurring than, than it does where I am now. Well, I do want to go all the way back, Robert, and get your whole story. Please tell us, where were you <clears throat> born? And please describe your upbringing. I was born in Montreal, Canada, uh, in the French section of Montreal. Basically, at that time, I was uh, English was mostly west, west portion of Montreal, and east portion of Montreal was uh, where I was born. I started skating. First time I put skates on, I was two years old, skating on the back porch at our house. Then basically from there on, it started to play. They used to call those mosquitoes there. And then peewees, then bantam, then midget, and then junior, and, and so and so on into my career. But uh, the, the east end of Montreal, my uncles both played for the Blues in the, in the 67, 68 season. And my uncle Noel played until 1972. And my dad and my uncles, Basically, the Picard family in the east of Montreal is really well known for hockey. Uh, all of them have been coaches in the junior major league. Um, and my uncle Mark, my uncle Roger, and my dad. We, like I said, we've been busy into the hockey world forever. And uh, what did your parents do? And did you have siblings? Yes, I have. Uh, my, my dad used to work for Coca-Cola for about 40 years. My mom went, uh, worked for Bell Canada and an overseas operator for a uh, long time also. I have a sister that lives in Montreal. I have a brother that's married that has two kids in Montreal also. Great. And and do you get a chance to go back to Montreal to see family and friends? I try to go once a year. Normally I'll take we'll take a trip, we'll drive up to Montreal, spend a week there and stuff, then I'll go a couple of days to Quebec City. Then after on our way down back, she my wife now, she's from New Hampshire. So uh, we stopped by to see her family for a week and stuff, and then some friends in the Cape, and then drive back to to, to uh, South Carolina. Fabulous. Now, Robert, in terms of your junior career, you established yourself as a highly regarded defensive prospect with the Montreal Juniors and the Montreal Blue Blanc Rouge from 1973 to 1977. I don't think you were known as a fighter in your pro career, but I definitely noticed, I looked at all your stats from your four years in the Q, the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, you averaged close to 300 penalty minutes per season, which is like five hours in the penalty box each year. What the heck was going on in the queue in the late 70s? The, the, the Quebec League was a very tough league, uh, so very physical and stuff, and there was a lot of fighting. And mo a lot of the, I mean, probably in my latter years, the last two years that I played, we did not have a very big team and stuff, so I was kind of... Uh, not the enforcer and stuff like that, but just to keep the other team in check, basically, and and protecting some of our my teammates. So, uh, yes, uh, and 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 in those days, I mean, we had John Wensink was in the that league, which he was a crazy guy and so like that, and you know, so we had a lot of guys that were some fightings and stuff, and and due to the fact that I used to play quite a bit uh, on the ice. A lot of teams would send somebody to drop their glove against me to get me off the ice as much as I could. Mm. So that's probably one of the reasons that uh, I had so many uh, major penalties and 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 penalties maybe sitting in the box for a while. In the NHL, a little bit at the beginning uh, when I started, uh, just to get the respected from other people. Um, so that's, you know, I, I, I didn't really need to do it. There was other guys on the team from teams I played on that, Basically, it was kind of their job in those days. So um, I, I, I did defend myself more than anything else. Leading up to the 1977 NHL entry draft, 
did you have a sense where you would be drafted and what was going to be coming? No, I did not have a feeling and stuff. I was, and to be honest with you, I was hoping to go five to St. Louis because my uncle was still living there and stuff like that. And it would have been a good uh, stuff for me to happen. But, uh, you know, I, I don't regret anything. Washington was a great place for me to, to, to end up. And the other thing, too, I was, I was drafted also by the Quebec Nordiques and the WHA, which became kind of a battle between the two of them for where I would be playing. And the, the funny thing that uh, was happening is that in those days, uh, O'Keefe Brewery used to own the Quebec Nordiques. And their Carling, basically, which is an Australian company, owned portion of the Capitals. So mm-hmm. and I do, in those days also, there was a start already for the uh, merger between the NHL. And, and so I was told by, you know, uh, the attorneys and stuff like that, that I had to go play in Washington, not in Quebec. Yeah, if you don't mind, I'm going to go through this, Robert, a little slower right. because I'm not sure the listeners will appreciate you were nothing to do with you per se, but your timing, you were smack dab in the middle of all this merger kind of talk and all this stuff going on. So it's, it's a little crazy, actually. As you say, in 1977, you were drafted twice by two different professional hockey leagues. You were selected third overall by the Washington Capitals in the NHL draft. And at the exact same time, drafted 38th overall in the WHA draft by the Quebec Nordiques. You signed with the Capitals, but later realized you could make more money in the World Hockey Association. You signed a five-year deal for $625,000 with the Quebec Nordiques of the WHA. But the WHA, I believe, they barred you from playing with the Nordiques because they were scared of being sued by the NHL if you suited up. Is, is that an accurate representation that of what accurate. happened? That's accurate, correct. And there was a quote in the and, paper. And, and, just, and just clarify something. I've never signed a contract with the Capitals. Before. Okay. Okay. It was uh, basically they sent me a letter of intent that they wanted me to sign and stuff like that. That, but I never anything was ever signed until I signed my official contract early, early September when training camp was started already. And a quote that came out that you can say is accurate or not was you were uh, you were a little upset that you frustrated that you couldn't play for Quebec that you would have to go with uh, Washington, just that you didn't have the choice, you were frustrated. And your quote was, I'd rather deliver pizzas in Quebec City than play hockey in Washington. Right. <laughs> was that actually said at the time? And I guess it was out of anger. Yes, I was very frustrated and stuff like that. And, you know, but I guess I was young. I was only 19 years old. So uh, it's, you know, I was uh, not being able to make the choice that I wanted to make. But like I said, it, it turned out good for me anyway. So it's- I no no regrets anymore. Uh, the only thing it was tough at the beginning, but uh, because of the very small market in Washington, people didn't really notice any of that. They just yeah. happy it was on the ice and stuff. And I remember we had to end up going to play an exhibition game in Quebec City with the Capitals, and and I got injured that night during the warm up. The, the fans in Quebec City were throwing boxes of pizza on the ice. Uh, so <laughs> so they remembered. So so it was more fun. The, the Quebec City did remember, but Washington that. I made no, no difference to them. The other bonus, Robert, of signing with the Washington Capitals was they offered you, in addition to your salary, a luxurious Lincoln Continental. Why did this please your mother? Uh, well, my mother was always protective of everything. I wanted a Camaro, but uh, yes, she, for sure. she said, no, you need a bigger car. So, plus, I, I didn't care. The car was given to me anyway. So uh, I just uh, was happy to to just take whatever they were giving me and stuff like that. And then we drove it back to, to Montreal when we <laughs> went there and signed the contract. Do you remember your first NHL game for the Washington Capitals? 
Yes, I remember it was at the Montreal Forum. Wow. Yeah, and first shift, Guy Lafleur blew by me like I was standing still, and he scored. So that was my first shift. And it only got better from there, though. Yeah, but see, the thing is, though, when I played junior, we we were playing at the Forum also, same building. And our locker room was right behind the Canadian one. So we had to go through their locker room to go on the ice every night and stuff. So uh, another thing, too, that uh, sometimes I would practice with them, the Canadians, uh, when they had the, you know, uh, optional skates and stuff like that for some guys. Then they would ask me, and, uh, and Norman Dupont, who was another guy that played with me, was drafted by Montreal. And we used to skate with them to, to make sure they had enough players to uh, – and that was during our, our last year. That was great. So you had some sense of the change in speed that you'd be experiencing going up to the Yeah, pros. but uh, Guy Lafleur had an extra speed, <laughs> an extra speed, more than more than a couple other guys that uh, that did uh, yeah did, did play for them. That's for sure. Now, Robert in Washington, expectations were really high for you because the team at the time kind of had very poor performance. You're the third uh, pick. They kind of unfairly single-handedly you're supposed to reverse their losing fortunes did you feel all this pressure when you started your career in washington yes yes in a way no another way i knew that i was going into a franchise where uh winning was not a um their story basically so i i was kind of disappointed and stuff like that at the beginning uh just because we were losing a lot and stuff and it was not really pleasant to play when you're not used to seeing that you know in, from my junior years and stuff and then, and then, like I said, my first game in Montreal was a lot of pressure because that was first game in the NHL and, and playing against Montreal and being a you know, French-Canadian that played junior hockey. A lot of people like, you know, knew me from playing and stuff. I, but like I say, it turned out to be a, a good game and stuff. And, and after that, the second, game, the second game, we went to Atlanta and I had three assists the one night. So it kind of uh, you know, put everything back in perspective there. For sure. Now, although you played very well in Washington, after three seasons, you were traded to Toronto in exchange for goaltender Mike Palmatier. As you know, Mike Palmatier was super popular with the Toronto fans. So again, you're again under pressure. Robert, did you feel extra pressure being the guy who came the other way in the trade that sent Mike Palmatier away from Toronto? Well, let me tell you a little bit about before that happened. I got Please. married, I got married um, on May 24th, 1980. Okay. And on that on that day and stuff, the GM and the coach were at my wedding. The general manager was, uh, you know, said some comments and stuff like that, and so told people that I was a lifer with the Capitals, and traded me a week later. So, so that's just tell you how business is today. But at that point, we need the Washington Capitals needed a goalie badly. I mean, they 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 you know we were losing games. We didn't have no nobody in nets that could uh, you know support. The, the play and stuff like that that we had and whatever or or being able to to uh, g win games for us you know you always say you know good teams the goalie can steal a game here and there we we could not do that and basically that in my second year the second year yes we were we almost made the playoffs and we lost making the playoffs because of uh, we thought we're winning four three against atlanta i remember that like it was yesterday we lost it with four seconds to go. They tied the game, and we needed two points to make the playoff, and we only got one and tied, and did not make the playoff because of that. And then after, then, then the year after that is uh, Gary Green was uh, was the head coach, 
and they're looking for a goalie and Palmy came into play, you know, for them and stuff. So I end up being the um, the sacrifice for, for the goaltender, basically. Yeah, when you went over to Toronto for the 1980-81 season, you entered a complete circus. This season was the crazy year where owner Harold Ballard made a clean sweep. He literally traded away 60% of the players. He stripped Daryl Sittler of his captaincy before getting rid of all its stars, one after the other. Daryl Sittler went to Philadelphia, Lanny McDonald and Joel Kenville to Colorado. Dave Tiger Williams went to the Vancouver Canucks. You must have thought you were coming into an absolute circus. Hey, yeah, yes, it was a it was a zoo for sure, and so that just because of you know what happened with uh, with Sittler. Sittler, I think, was the biggest portion of it for him to to trade him and so that that way. Uh, yeah, it was a, it was a tough start. And the other thing too is people don't take consideration how harder because I was French Canadian, and at that time Quebec tried to secede from from Canada. If you don't know if you remember that, and so that yes. so I was regarded as you know yes a hockey player, but I'm French, and a lot of people uh, in Ontario uh, were basically how can I say upset with the French Canadian people. So uh, I'm not taking that as an excuse. I'm just saying that this was another thing over and above what uh, you know what the uh, issues were at that time in the community and and then and then with the leaves i mean it was uh, just crazy because we end up having you know 10 guys that were traded dead with a very short period of time try to get together and so that and and for me it, it, it was working out at the beginning then i hurt my knee i missed a bunch of games and stuff i came back i was not 100 percent uh, in those days, uh, like I said, they didn't have the rules like they do today to protect the players. So, you know, the coach used to come in and say, hey, put two aspirins on it and let's get in there. Mm. And and we were. I mean, that that's the difference that, you know, not a lot of people don't do that today. They'll, you know, bleed it as long as they could. But in our days, you know, we want to be there and stuff. So, and and like I said, was for white, I think I should play 59 games total. Yep. Before I got traded. I got great souvenirs, sorry to say, for Borea. Uh, you know, he was a tremendous athlete, and so that Ian Turnbull was there. We had a good core defenseman. Then you had uh, Laurie Boschman, Saginaw, and Terry Martin was on the front, one of the lines, and then you had Rick Vive, the Lego. So we had, we had a pretty good young core, and that and that would that was okay, and so that. But I think their expectation from that young core was a little too much. And and goaltending was another place where we had issues. Uh, we didn't, you know, like I said, same situation I was in with Toronto, with the Washington. Is goaltending did not come up as big for games as you know as they could have been and stuff. I think uh, Yuri Sarah was there, mm-hmm. and Kurt, Kurt Ridley was the other goalie. So uh, I knew something was going to happen that we were going to try to go and and we talked. Crozier was the coach at the time. And talked about to us about trying to get a goaltender, but I didn't know I was end up being the guy that was going to be traded for one. Well, as you know, Robert, you were you were only 23 years old. You were a young player. I did want to ask you. I'm glad you brought it up with the uh, recently deceased Borea Salming. What was your experience being in the dressing room with him and on the ice with him? Oh, talent wise and stuff like that. And, and unfortunately, he was in an era where. You know, the Robinsons, the, I mean, those, the, you know, the guys that their teams were winning more and stuff. So they were more publicized than he was. But Borea, stuff that he went through when, when they were playing Philadelphia in the playoffs and 
all that stuff that I used to admire him for that. But playing with him talent-wise, I mean, he was unbelievable talent. And he, and, and he was kind of like Guy Lafleur to me anyway. Chisel body like you've never seen, both those guys. And they could go all night, basically, and stuff. So as a person, an outstanding person, a great teammate, never criticized anybody publicly. If he had something to tell you, he'd come talk to you about it and stuff like that. So Boria was a, a gentleman and a scholar. I never which way. And I was so sad to see this. I was so sad to see him at that presentation in Toronto a couple yeah. weeks ago, three weeks ago to, you know, to a guy that, I mean, was healthy and stuff like that not too long ago and all of a sudden to go that way. It was incredible what was taken away from him. And I, I was, in a way, I was pleased he had the chance to come back to Toronto to see how everyone felt about him here in this city and, and, the, and the whole hockey world. Another guy you played with, he was only 21. I don't think he was the captain yet, Rick Vive. Well, what, what was it like playing with him at that time? Good. Uh, I Yeah, played against him. In, uh, no, I didn't play against him, but I saw him playing junior when he was playing in junior. He's a really talented hockey player, a rugged guy too. So, um, yeah, it, and to me, like I said, you got probably uh, at Snipers, Mike Bossy, Mike Gardner, and he fits pretty close to, to that category also as a player and a great guy too. And, and to tell you, on that team, we, we had a, lot, a good bunch of guys, the guys that worked hard and stuff like that, but we did not have the, how can I say, not, not, not mean the talent, but the um, the expectations are big for us at the mm-hmm. time and stuff like that. And, and we just can't, couldn't get over that hump of, of, of making everything easy for everybody else, for ourselves, basically. But, yeah, Rick Viva, a great goal scorer, uh, really tough guy, tough to play against and stuff like that. And, and, and like I said, it was a good choice to make him the captain when they ever did it. Sure. Now, did you have a chance to play with Daryl Sittler, or had he already been moved on by the time you got there? He was already moved on that summer. Yeah. Yeah. And, and your leading scorer at your, in the season you were there would have been, I think, Wolf Paymont. That is correct. Yeah. And it's another guy that was really, really good hockey player. I mean, you know, uh, played great in uh, Colorado when he was there, uh, played great in Toronto and stuff like that. So he, uh, I played with him in Quebec City after. So uh, Wilf was a, he was a tough competitor and uh, gave his heart out every night and stuff like that, took everything seriously. So uh, we, we had a good bunch of guys. Laurie Boschman was there, great guy. Rocky Saginak was there. Terry Martin, uh, very underrated left winger and stuff. Ronnie Ellis that came and finished uh, the year with us at that point. David Shan, Dave Farish. I mean, these are all guys that, did their time in the league and stuff like that. And I think we deserved better than we got that year, Yeah, you know, and stuff. And I think if we would have got a, if I'd have stayed and we'd have picked up a half decent goaltender and stuff, we could have made some damage. Yeah. Well, you were a young team. Now, of course, every circus has a ringleader and it was, it was probably the owner, Mr. Harold Ballard. I don't know in your year there, Robert, if you had any exposure to him, any Harold Ballard stories, good or bad. Yeah, I, I don't really have much with him. Fraternizing with him when you come in the locker room and stuff like that and stuff that he would say. And, you know, I read the paper and, and listen to the radio, that things that he would say. I mean, it was kind of uh, crazy and stuff. But uh, King King uh, King Clancy, uh, yes, was there too. He was a very funny guy. Yeah. And, and he used to come in the locker room and stuff and laugh with us and everything like that encouraged us to you know, to get better, and then he would see some stuff and that he think we met up us. And so he, he was very good on that portion. Errol was just Errol Barrow, that's all. 
If you're enjoying this Toronto Legends interview, you should know that there are more than 100 additional episodes available anytime. We got Glass Tigers Alan Frew, Fastest Man on the Planet Donovan Bailey, Canadian Ambassador to the UN Bob Ray, Former Maple Leafs Kent Manderville and Todd Gill, Chefs Ivy Knight and Sue Sir Lee, Blue Rodeo's Basil Donovan, fellow podcasters Wendy Mesley, Terry O'Reilly, Mark Saltzman, and Ted Wallachin, and many, many more great behind-the-scenes stories directly from the Toronto legends themselves. All episodes are available, as they say, wherever you get your podcasts. Robert, you were traded to your hometown Montreal Canadiens in March 1981 for Michel Bunny LaRocque. You played uh, eight games for the Habs that season, plus two more full seasons afterwards. Now, at that time, some fans weren't happy to see the Habs give up an experienced goaltender to get a 23-year-old defenseman. But in hindsight, this was regarded as one of Montreal's best ever trade deadline deals as the Canadians got a solid young defenseman in yourself in exchange for an aging goaltender. How thrilling was it for you to suit up at the Forum for your hometown Montreal Canadiens? Let me tell you a little bit before that, okay? So the day I got traded... From Toronto to Montreal, I was driving home after practice, and I heard it on the radio. On the radio. That I was was traded. And then when I got home, my wife said, well, GM called, and so we'd like you to call him. Then I knew that there was a legitimate, that that's what happened. From there, after moving to Montreal and stuff like that, I I think the pressure got to me a lot more than than anything else. Just, Just because of being in Montreal, the dynasty was just finishing. And the expectation for people to win every year and to be, in, you know, there every year and stuff like that. So it was a lot of pressure. A lot. Of, there was a changes in coach. Bob Barry came in the, the coaching. So and then they they had Langway and still at that time Brian Engblom. They had Robinson. They had five six guys. Serge Savard was still there. So they had their whole crew. Gila Point. They had their whole crew. Their defensemen. So I came in like, you know seven defensemen basically for the remaining of the year that's why i didn't play very much and plus also i was coming back coming from my knee injury and i was not 100 percent. and when i got to montreal when they did the meet with the doctor and stuff there the doctor said you know i probably let him practice and stuff let's get him a brace fixed on his knee and let him practice for a month or so like that before play any games just to be safe that my knee because at my age of 23 the risk was, you know, do we want him to be, and in those days, the repair on knees was not like it is today. Mm-hmm. You know, so you can ask Bobby Orr about this, of all the zippers yeah. and stuff like that. So they didn't want to take a risk uh, from my conversation with them and stuff like that. And, and so didn't play very much. The play, the games that I played was, uh, you know, uh, when one guy would be injured or whatever like that, then I'd come in as a sixth defenseman. I was disappointed in that because of, you know, uh, all the good years I had in 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 Washington and half-decent year in Toronto and coming to Montreal, I felt like, you mean I can't play in this league anymore? Mm. And that's basically some of the, you know, thoughts and stuff like that that came through my mind. But they signed me for the four-year contract after that, that summer. You know, I, okay, there's there's a plan for me somewhere. So that that was the, uh, the reason, basically, that, you know, the next year after this, the had a great first half of the season. Then I broke my foot. I missed like 11 games, 12 games. I came back and then we lost to Quebec that year in five games in the playoffs from uh, Dale Hunter from behind the net that scored. Mm-hmm. And, I, I, and we had high expectation at that point. Then that summer, 
Serge Savard just cleaned the, basically a place traded. Engblom, Langway, Lachlan, and Doug Jarvis to Washington for Ryan Walter and Rick Green, which I had played with, which I was happy to get them there. And there's a couple other trades that they made to, you know, to kind of change the whole chemistry of the team. Because in Montreal, a lot of times, and the, the years that they were very successful, 60% or more were French Canadians. Mm-hmm. That was important in Montreal. And then after that, basically, in that, those years, that dwindled down to about 30%. Mm-hmm. So uh, I did, I'm sure it didn't have nothing to do with it, but, but it was a fact. Uh, that's, uh, you know, so... And that, and like I say, from there, I had a couple of great, good years in Montreal. And then uh, Serge Savard was really good friend with John Ferguson. And this is the reason why the trade happened to Winnipeg. And uh, as you allude to, in late 1983, Robert, you were traded from Montreal to the Winnipeg Jets for Winnipeg's third round choice in the 84 draft. Montreal would eventually use that draft choice to select a goaltender named Patrick Waugh, who of course later was inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame. In Winnipeg, you were paired on the Jets with future Maple Leafs coach Randy Carlisle, and you guys found great success. He was also your roommate, is that correct? Yes. Uh, Kitty and I, like I said, we in Winnipeg in those days, the only issue we had is because we played in the same division as Edmonton. The battles were unbelievable with them, uh, them in Calgary. I think one year, the semi second year, Edmonton finished first, we finished third, and Calgary finished fourth in the league. Out of, you know, at that point it was 21 teams. But we ended up playing Edmonton in the first round or played Edmonton in the second round. But we had, we had a really, really good team. I mean, Dale Auerchuk, Paul McLean. Uh, Winnipeg was a great place. I really did enjoy playing in Winnipeg, even though the weather was really cold. Winnipeg, I could compare it to, to Quebec City because they are, you know, a smaller market. And people live for hockey. And it's the same in Winnipeg. They live for hockey over there. Dale Auerchuk, as a captain, did an outstanding job. Here's another guy, too bad that he left so early in his, you know, his life and stuff. And then we, you know, we had uh, Dave Babich, uh, Dave Ellett, Mo Manta, and the Jimmy Kite on defense. Then, I mean, we had, you know, some good players up front, too. That uh, Thomas Steen. A lot of guys that, that, that we like I said, we had a good core of players to be able to to match up with uh, Edmonton and and Calgary in those days, and they were there were battles of kind of crazy. So that was really good hockey, though, and stuff. And I like I said, I, when I got traded from there to to Quebec City, I was a little disappointed. But me going back home and stuff, and being able to be close to my family again was was a good thing. As you note, you had. A good but short time in Winnipeg. Uh, over two seasons later, you were again on the move to the Quebec Nordique. Now, this was tough for three reasons, Robert. You had originally kind of spurned the Nordique to play for Washington in the NHL, or that's how it may have been seen. You had previously played for bitter rival Montreal, and Quebec had traded their captain, Mario Merroir, the other way for you. So again, you're coming to a situation with high pressure, high expectations. How did you enjoy your time in Quebec? Well, just to tell you, I was kind of lucky. We, I, they had a four-game road trip when I showed up. And um, I remember in Boston, I got first star in Boston. And and two other games, I got stars also uh, during the games. We played the Hartford Whalers and I think Philadelphia. I can't remember. The, but anyway, then, then that four-game tri- trip and stuff with like that, I played unbelievable hockey. So it was very easy for me to 
getting back to Quebec City and stuff like that. And, and after playing for, because all their games were televised. So people can all see the games. So that, that was one thing that uh, was uh, really, really good for me. It happened in a good time. And it continued on. I played really well for the rest of the year with them. We made the playoffs and stuff, and then it separated my shoulder just before the last game of the year. So um, we lost to the Whalers three straight that year. And then, uh, you know, so I was kind of disappointed, but I was rewarded with a four-year contract there that summer. And then uh, the next year, uh, we ended up with uh, the Battle of Quebec with Montreal in seven games after beating Hartford in the first round. Then after that, then, like I said, Quebec clean house also traded a bunch of guys and went to reconstruction phase of the of the team, traded all the older guys. Stastny was traded. Goulet was traded to Chicago. Um, so we ended up with having not too many NHL caliber, not NHL, I can't say NHL caliber, but uh, star players that did perform well. They traded the whole house, basically. And then from there was a youth, youth transition. And I was caught into that youth transition, which I, I still didn't mind. We've made the playoffs a couple of years and stuff and so and so on. And if I, if I know correctly, you <laughs> enjoyed playing for coach uh, Michel Bergeron. Yes, I did. Uh, Michel was a guy from the area where I come from in Montreal. So I knew him from baseball. I knew him from other things, but outside of hockey plus i played against him in junior for four years when he was a coach in three rivers so i i had some interaction with them and so with that the all-star games in junior plus the the world world uh that you know, at that time was called the world junior championship when the quebec ontario and western league and the russians playing a four-team tournament every year so i interfaced with him quite a bit then and the assistant coach was gila point which was a friend of mine from playing with montreal and stuff so it was it was very easy to be there and and to to uh to perform there and stuff like that until basically i got traded again and you did finish your career in 1990 with the detroit red wings you had a kind of short 20 game stint but it was marred by a triple ankle fracture right does uh i guess that's yeah. uh does, does that ankle still affect you today it sounds like a serious injury i'll uh i'll i'll talk about that I, what happened in quebec is uh martin madden was the gm in quebec city and he uh he came in he says robert we're going to go into transition and stuff like that and it, there's a couple team that inquire about you and stuff like that and where would you like to go i said all i want is i want to go south of the border so uh this is where i got traded to detroit Jacques Demers. I'd ask about for me to go play in Detroit. So, so I did. And I played 20 games. And then I fractured my ankle in three places. They put some screws in. I'm okay today. I'm not having any ill effect from it. But it was a tough break and stuff like that. Because we were fighting for playoffs. And I missed lots of key games that the team needed to win against those teams. Then that summer, um, got rewarded from a contract with them to come back for my 14th year in the league, but during training camp, I got hit a couple of times on that same ankle and uh, basically, you know, couldn't couldn't take any more operation on it and stuff like that. So I decided to uh, hang him up, basically. Now you had offers to continue your career playing in Europe, in Germany or Switzerland. Why, why didn't you take advantage of those offers to go to Europe? Uh, I wasn't, uh, like I say, it was, a, it was a choice, you know, to leave my family for six months, you know, so it was not, uh, uh, easy decision to do, but yes, I had some offers from 
Germany, Switzerland, France to go play for six months, but I was not ready to do that. And uh, ended up turning out good for me in a lot of different ways. But uh, transition to, to, even though I played uh, in the World Championship the year before in Germany, like I say, it was a, and more of a family decision and stuff like that. The, the money was not an issue. I was still getting paid by Detroit for the full year. But, you know, I say you got to do, make a decision sometimes that's best interest to your family and hockey is just a sport. So you transition to let's call it a civilian life. And I understand that in the intervening years, you've been a car wash sales representative and a volunteer fireman. Maybe you can bring us up to speed with Robert <coughs> Picard of today. Okay, so uh, in 1990, when I retired, I was in Detroit, and I had a one-year contract with uh, the, the Red Wings and stuff. And then uh, what I did is I went to talk to the Hillichs and stuff and ask if I could get paid over the next four years. So give me an opportunity to to figure out what I was going to do in life, and they agreed. So I got a you know my salary divided by four, and basically for the next four years I was getting a paycheck at the same time as the guys on the ice were. It was like a deferred payment. From there. You know, it was uh, not an easy transition to start because of, uh, you know, the, the way business were and stuff like that. And, and yes, it was easy after I, what I did is I took some uh, marketing and management courses at Oakland Community College in Detroit. And I was very active in the city that I was living. One of the events that I went to, the chief of the fire department basically said to me, he said, Robert, what are you, what are you doing now? I said, oh, there's nothing. And so I said, why don't you join the volunteer fire department? So I did. So for two years, I took classes, ended up being a paramedic, ended up being a uh, firefighter one and two, which was the highest level. Now, I don't know, they, I was not an officer or whatever when I started. And uh, I did that for nine years before I moved to, to Florida. But I really did enjoy that. It was like, you know, when you were called on to do something, it was like the adrenaline slits. Yeah, same as it was for uh, for uh, playing hockey and stuff. And this was a volunteer department. So there was no, can I say, obligation to answer all the calls and stuff. So if you had something to do, you didn't have to and whatever. So uh, it was very interesting to do. Like I said, I did that for nine years. And gradually, I ended up being a sergeant in the department. After that, when I when I decided to to move to Florida, I had to end that portion of it, which was uh, like I said, it was grateful for people to, uh, to 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 work with and stuff. And during that time in in '94, I joined the car wash business as a international salesperson because uh, we they did uh, the company I was working for was called Bellinger Incorporated, and they were out of Detroit, and they had customers in Quebec and they had customers in France, so. Basically, that's how I was mostly used. Uh, I kind of the way I was hired. Uh, I um, went to a meeting with uh, the owners and stuff, and sat down with them, and and they tell me, says, "Well, Robert, you you know, we're interested to see you work with us and stuff, but can you tell us what you'd be looking for for money and stuff like that?" And most important thing at the time for me was medical benefits for my kids. I used to pay like six, seven hundred dollars a month for insurance. You know, at the time, I said to them. Yes, the, the salary was okay, and so that was not. Uh, I wish I was done. Asked for more at the time. But yeah. <laughs> we decided. And they said, "Okay, let, why don't you go home and come back Thursday and let us know what, you know, what you want for salary?" Blah, blah, blah. I said, "Okay." So I came back Thursday. I said, "Yes, I'm interested in stuff." One of them said, "Well, there's only one stipulation. We have an installation that's going on in France, 
and you'd be leaving next Friday. Are you okay with that? And I said, yes, but I didn't know nothing about that, nothing about the industry at that point. Okay. So I went with an engineer. Basically, what I was doing is translation. That was it, you know, from French to, to my engineer and say, okay, this is what they're looking for, what you, you know, whatever. I learned a lot on that trip. And after that, for nine months, I worked in the warehouse, basically to manufacture stuff, to make stuff, to assemble stuff. So I knew going to talk to customers that I knew what I was talking about, mm -hmm. not just, just fake it, basically. I was aware of what things needed to be done, I need to be done and stuff, and that's the way it was. I worked with that company until 2007. The company was sold, and I was sold to a big corporation. I was not interested in working for a big corporation, so I left there. And I went to work for their biggest competitor. And I re just retired in La Paz, June, 28 years. Congratulations. Your, your second retirement. And was it the pandemic that saw you move to uh, South Carolina? Yes. It was kind of funny that all this happened and stuff. Uh, well, I have some friends on the lake here that uh, my wife was a school teacher and stuff. And they were friends. And we came to visit one weekend and... And my wife said, well, you know, why don't we just buy a place up there? And so I said, honey, I said, there's no small place there. All the homes are a million dollars or more. If you want, we can sell our house in Florida. And at that point, I was planning to retire about an, a year and a half. I said to her, let's put our house on the market, see what we get, and then buy something up there and pay it all cash and don't have to worry about it. So, I, so she said, okay. So what we did is basically exactly what it is. Our house put on the market on January 1st and 4 o'clock was sold. Wow. Over asking price. So they were happy with that. Then we came down here. We bought a house here. And I was going to rent down to Florida for a year until I could retire. We came here on 26th of March. Thought we're meeting a contractor because he needs some work to be done on the house and stuff. So I said, well, we'll get that hooked up. And if it takes six months or whatever it takes to get it fixed, that's fine. And then when we're ready to retire, then we can move up there. Then pandemic hit. Then my boss called me and he said, hey, Robert, you know, don't want to see you guys in the office until probably August or September. So I was here. So we made a decision to, I talked with them and somebody to work remote. So I was working remote until the past June. Year and a half here, and but construction here, there was under, the house was all under construction the whole time we were here, but we were happy to do it. Fantastic. And now you're all settled in and living the dream. Yes, that's correct. <laughs> I appreciate all your time. You've been great. I like all your stories. I want to close off with a few loose ends, if I may. You are one of the few people who's had the pleasure to play in both meccas of hockey. You played at the Montreal Forum. You played at Toronto's Maple Leaf Gardens. Any fond memories of playing in each of those buildings? Toronto, because of the history. I mean, uh, you know, there is three of the Maple Leafs and stuff. I mean... I, and, I, and I think, like I said, they're, they're two great franchises and stuff. They're, you know, um, in those days, the discrepancy of the money was not as bad as it is today. You know, so that's so, you know, you were there, to, you played for the love of the game and the love of, of, of playing and, and being, how can I say, uh, more dedicated to the city that you play in and stuff. Montreal, like you said, it was a mega. We used to either see... Uh, when Canadians were out of town, we'd see the Maple Leaf on Hockey Night in Canada and stuff. So there was always the love of, uh, you know, and whenever we'd be playing outside, somebody would be the Maple Leafs and somebody was the Canadians. You know, that's how we played when we were kids. <clears throat> so, but my fond memories, yes, that, that Toronto was short-lived. Uh, Montreal was probably as, not as good as I wish it would have been. Uh, I wish I would have continued my career there and stuff and finished it there and stuff, but that 
that was not in the uh, in the stars basically with it. But my, my you know, I got fond memories of when I played junior there in the forum. You know, the building was my building basically at that point. Toronto was, like I said, there was a lot of things that happened very short period of time with a bunch of different players and stuff like that in the in the on the team. So uh, that's you know that's the reason why. Like I said, the memories that I have are probably not as much in Toronto that I do in Montreal. So, as you said, you're retired. You got the good life, South Carolina. When's the last time you were on skates? Do you still have a pair of skates? I still have a pair of skates. They're downstairs in the basement. The last time I skated was in uh, uh, 1955, so it'd be 11 years ago. That's the last time I put skates on. And I was with uh, the Washington Capitals alumni charity game that we played before the opening night of one season. Oh, that's good. Well, before we close off, I want to give you a chance to brag. I understand you have some grandchildren. Yes, I do have. I have. I'm remarried. Uh, I'm a widow for my first wife. So is my wife now. She was a widow also. So we have. I have two kids, Preston and Lauren. They both. Uh, my daughter has two kids, and my brother, my son, has two boys, and she has a boy and a girl. My wife has uh, three kids, uh, two boy and a girl. And the girl has a, a granddaughter, so it's it's a it's a you know family basically and stuff. So uh, yeah, so I have I have five grand five grandkids basically. Fabulous! Well, congratulations! You're Thank living you. the good life. People want to know where can I follow Robert Picard? I don't know if you're on social media. Where can they know uh, what you're up to, or maybe reach out to you if they wanted to? Um, you know, I, like I said, I. I get a still get a lot of people sending fan mail and stuff to get signed cards and everything like that. I usually give my address to my old company where I work, and I have good relationship with the people there. And they just send my son works there, so he ends up with the envelopes and just sends them to me and stuff. So anybody that uh, I'm on, I'm on uh, Facebook, but uh, the rest I don't do any uh, Twitter and all that other stuff. So I'm I'm a little more old old school. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, it was certainly great catching up with you. I want to thank you for your time, and uh, I wish you a happy new year and happy holidays. Thank you very much, Andrew. My pleasure. And to the listeners, we thank you for listening to this episode of the Toronto Legends podcast, powered by the Henderson Brewing Company. And on behalf of Robert Picard, I am Andrew Applebaum saying mahalo. to make the most out of this life and optimize your personal wellness then check out the natural man podcast join me host mike c as we explore all areas of human wellness physical mental and emotional learn strategies to optimize your own well-being and be in the driver's seat of your own health remember your doctor works for you learn biohacks neurohacks ways to improve sleep and ways to optimize your body and your mind. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, the Fountain app, and at naturalmanpodcast.com. Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many roads that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga, Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. 
you have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at averyrich.com.